0: share with you this morning, just quickly, as we consider a new year, I want to talk about the newness that I really love, the newness that just tells us that God has done something amazing and has been so gracious towards us. I want to share with you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, and Paul writes and says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. That's new. I like that new. That new is good because that tells me that the old, the old life that was marked by sin and death, that new has come. And instead of death, I now have eternal life. He says this, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What a beautiful gift of newness that God has brought that in the midst of our death and lifelessness and spiritual darkness, God instead brought new life, new light, and he has rescued us. Behold, the old has passed away, and all things have become new. That's what we're celebrating now, and we're looking forward to when Jesus comes, because when he comes, he's going to make all things new. And I'm telling you, there's nothing more exciting than to sing about the fact that the old is gone and the new has come. I think we should worship God this morning on the basis of that. Brother Barry, would you come and lead us this morning? I want you to stand again with me. We're going to sing some songs. One of these you may or may not recognize Thank you for leading us. I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 17. And over the next few weeks, what I want to do is get our eyes and our minds focused on what we exist to do as a church why we are here and in the end as I mentioned our mission statement is to know Christ and to make him known and so for for 2017 I want to make that the thrust of everything we do is that it's all about Jesus it's all about making him known it's all about seeing people come to a saving knowledge of Christ that if we as a church could be active in sharing Jesus with others making him known and loving him in our own personal lives. And as we gather together corporately, I think we'll have a successful year. Regardless of what it looks like at the end, I believe that will be faithful. And so what I want to do is, is focus our eyes on that. And so we're going to be very evangelism-driven here at the beginning. I want to share some messages, some, some, some sermons on, on why we share our faith, what we're sharing, and how we share it. And just so you know, every person who's a Christian in this room has a story about how someone brought the gospel to you. And what I want to do is celebrate that, and I want to show you, hopefully in the weeks ahead, some of my favorite videos of how people have come to know Christ and just how God has used those those interactions with regular daily life and just spending time with people. And and just to be able to celebrate the fact that God shows up and that the gospel has been brought to us. And I pray that if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, that you might see the gospel laid out before you this morning, that you might see your need of a Savior, and that you would trust in Christ. You would repent of your sin and trust in him. Acts chapter 17 is one of the greatest, most awesome pictures of just boldness about the gospel, boldness about sharing Christ that I know of, and I love to celebrate it. So Acts chapter 17 in verse 22 is where I'm going to start, and in this we see Paul And his interaction with those in Athens. I'm going to explain this as we get into it. I hope you brought your Bible. I hope you have a notebook with you to take notes. We're going to walk through this together. We're going to see the boldness of sharing the gospel in a difficult place. So in Acts chapter 17, I'm going to ask you if you would, if you're physically able, to stand with me this morning as we read God's word. Acts chapter 17 Verse 22 through 31, and I want to show you Paul's interaction with these folks who needed to hear about the good news of Christ, and let's see what we can glean from it this morning. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for I passed along and observed objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray you'll help us to see your goodness, your grace, your glory in the midst of these verses. Lord, I pray that you would stir up in us fan the flame of the fire that you have kindled in our hearts. God, that we would have a passion to share your good news with others. God, I pray that you will give us a burning in our hearts and in our souls that we don't want to see one more person die and go into a crisis eternity. But God, we want to see all people saved. We want to see all of them repent and trust in you. And so God, help us today to be on fire for you. Use your word, God, to to just stoke the fire and cause us to have a burning passion. That lost people would be saved and that you would be glorified, God, above all things. God, give me words to preach this morning. Help these people to know it's not me who saves them. It's not my words. It's not my presentation. It's not my sermon. It's your word that saves. Help them to see that your word is the power to save. The gospel is the only way in which we can be redeemed. So God, help them to see this morning that they are desperate sinners. I am a desperate sinner, but Christ is an all-sufficient Savior. And God, may we give him all the glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. I want boldness in the new year. You know what I want 2017 to be? A bold year. where where the people of Fairhaven Baptist Church aren't afraid of sharing the gospel with anyone. That we're not afraid of our neighbors, we're not afraid of people who aren't like us, but we're ready and loving and ready and compassionate to share the gospel with anyone who we come into contact with. I would love Fairhaven to be known for their boldness. That when they know that when, when the members of Fairhaven, when we as Christians who unite together at this church, when we go out from this place, we're not ashamed of Jesus. We're not ashamed of his truth. We don't feel the need to apologize for God, but we stand by his truth, even as difficult as sometimes it is. Even though there's hard sayings, we trust that Jesus is the only source of life, that we would echo with Peter when Jesus says, are you going to leave also? Are you going to leave me like all the others? And Peter says, where else shall we go? You are the only one who has the words of eternal life. That we would be so passionate about God. We'd be so passionate about his word. We'd be so passionate to see people saved that we would not be afraid of anything. We'd be bold to take the gospel to every person in this community. I want boldness. And I'm not saying that to you. I'm saying that to me primarily. You're all just going to have a front row seat to it. So I'm preaching this to me and to you. Let's be bold for Jesus. You ready to see this picture? Acts chapter 17. We find Paul in the midst of the Areopagus in Athens. Well, that's weird if we don't know how he got here. But I want to point out to you that God calls Paul to do very difficult missionary journeys, very difficult ministry assignments. God calls him to many uncomfortable positions and God has called Paul to share the gospel with those who had no access to it, who had never heard of it. And in the end, Paul is reaching out to all of those who do not have the worship of Christ on their lips. And what I think Paul has done is he has given us a great example. God has kept this For us, for our study, thousands of years later to see how God worked in the life of Paul to be an example for us. Now, the background is Paul and his companion Silas had been traveling around and been sharing the gospel in all these different towns, and Paul and Silas had been in a town called Thessalonica. You know that town because we have two letters in our Bible that are to the Thessalonians. So we know Paul was there, and when he ministered there, just so you know, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows, because when Paul ministered there, people wanted to kill him. They chased him out of town. Paul and Silas had to flee because the Jews in the synagogue had become angry out of envy, and they gathered a mob to go after Paul and Silas. And so Paul and Silas were sent at night to go to Berea, who were called a more fair-minded people. Always like fair-minded people. Always like the people not trying to kill you. So they go to Berea in the middle of the night, and they think, okay, this will be a nice little haven for us to be at. But just so you know, that angry mob from Thessalonica follows them down. And comes to Berea and stirs up a crowd there as well. So now Paul and Silas can't stay there either. And so Paul was sent off on his own because he was the leader and the focus of the attacks was on him. And Silas and Timothy stay behind in Berea. And Paul is escorted to Athens where he was then left alone. Did you catch that? Wow, what a great fertile ground to share the gospel. You are left on your own because people are chasing after you trying to kill you. And now Paul is found all alone. In Athens, by himself, knowing people have been chasing him. Just so you know, we're not always going to get to share the gospel in nice, comfortable areas where everybody thinks we're just peachy and great. Where people like us. We're going to have to share the gospel in some places where people would rather see you dead than to ever hear the name Jesus. And Paul is in Athens, All alone, people chasing him, and that's where we find him. And while in Athens, we're told that Paul is provoked. I like that word. Paul is provoked when he looks out through the town and he sees nothing but pagan idols everywhere. Right? I mean, we could go there now and see these these magnificent structures that still exist, right? right? We could see these wonderful... Greek structures that stand, and we would marvel at the beauty of them, but for Paul, they were pictures of idolatry, and it provoked him to look on them. You know what? It started with Paul not being satisfied with how he saw things. Paul saw that they were broken people who were lost, and he could not stand to see that any longer, and so he is provoked to see the city given over to idols, and so he goes to the marketplace. That's the Oropagus. The Oropagus is the gathering place. It's like, uh, it's like Athenian Walmart. Right, You go there to hear the hubbub. Everybody gathers together. The Oropagus was the marketplace. It was also the place where uh, philosophers would come. And they would, they would philosophize together and try to, try to see who could outthink the other. Paul is brought there. We know that Athens is the intellectual center of the Roman world. He was provoked to action. He couldn't just stand by, and so he has to do something. And while he's in the Oropagus... He sees the time to be able to preach the gospel. And I want you to notice the the content of his preaching. Are you ready for this? Paul, verse 22, standing in the midst of the eropagus. I love that word, in the midst. It means he's probably surrounded, right? Which is always a good thing to do, right? Always surround yourself, right? Be in the middle where people can all get at you and punch you, right? You You don't want anybody to have to stretch too far to try to kill you. Paul's in the midst. He's in the middle of it all. He's in the center of it. He's in the Arabicus. Everyone is gathered around. Everybody's bustling. Everybody's trying to outthink each other. And Paul is standing there in the midst of them. And he says this. I want you to notice, first of all, no one asked Paul to speak. But he wasn't waiting for an invitation. Paul said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. I hate to break it to you, but Athens sounds a lot like today. Because here's what Paul encounters. Paul says, I can tell that you are in every way very religious. Now, that word religious is also a word that could be translated superstitious. No. Human beings would never be superstitious, would they? Paul says, I perceive that you in every way are very religious. He says, for I passed along. As I passed along, I observed objects of your worship. I found an altar also with this inscription to the unknown God. Okay. (laughs) Listen. If eternity is on the line and you're not quite sure what's real, you're going you're to start grabbing out a lot of stuff. All right, Just to be honest with you, in the, in the vacuum of spiritual truth, people will start grabbing onto anything they can. So here's what Paul sees. As he travels through the city of Athens, he notices that they have a lot of altars, a lot of altars set up for pagan worship. And they're all to different gods, right? You can find an altar for that god, an altar for that god, an altar for that god, an altar for that god. Paul says, I see that you're very religious, or you're very superstitious. He says, I know this because as I traveled through your city, I even found an altar for the unknown God. Did you catch that? They are so superstitious, they don't want to forget one. Just in case there's a God out there they haven't heard of yet, or just in case there's one out there they're not aware of, they actually built altars to unknown gods just to cover their bases. Boy, that sounds a lot like today. That we might try to cover all of our bases, right? I'll have a little bit of this, and I'll have a little bit of that, a little bit of that. Just Spiritually speaking, I'm going to take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, just to make sure, right? I'm going And in the end, Paul says, what you worship is unknown. Let me make him known to you. Just so you know, we live in a society right now, a culture that even here in the South, there are a lot of people. Who in their hearts have erected idols to unknown gods. They're not even sure what they're worshiping. They just don't wanna be caught worshiping nothing. And they don't wanna be found out later that they worship the wrong thing. And so they've just, they've bitten off little pieces of everything. And they don't even know what truth is. They're not even sure what is real. And what Paul says is, the unknown God you're trying to worship, let me make him known to you. Guess what we do as a church? Every time we're rubbing shoulders with people around us who don't know Jesus, guess what we're doing? We're saying, the unknown God, let me make him known to you, that we might actually know the one true God, and that we exist today to make him known. Oh, that sounds a lot like our mission statement as a church, to know Christ and to make him known. Listen, folks, if we all in this room know Christ, that's great. But if it never leaves this room, we are failing at the mission that Jesus has left us with. And we're not following Paul's example. What we do on a daily basis, what you get to, did you know this? What you get to do every day God gives you in 2017 is go out to people who don't know God and say, let me make him known to you. Mind if I make him known? You know why our guys get together at Chick-fil-A Monday mornings, 8 o'clock? Listen, we could have the Bible study here at church. You know why we go to Chick-fil-A? We want, people, we, we want to make the unknown God known to them. And just so you know, they're probably not walking in these doors until we first have gone out. You understand what I'm getting at? So, so what we need to be is like, Paul, we're going to go into the marketplace. You know there's lost people at Walmart? <laughs> you know it because when they're in front of you when you're trying to check out and they're driving you crazy. But it's a place we get to go, right? You, you spend time in Walmart, you spend time in restaurants, you spend time at schools, you spend time in places where people gather so that you might make the unknown God known to them. That they might not go another day without knowing who this God is. Now notice what, notice what Paul does. He's going to share three important things about God. Number one, so if you're taking notes, this is a cool time to take notes. Number one, we get to see God's power. Notice what he says in verses 24 through 26. Okay, so he says, I I observed objects of your worship. I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. And then he begins to tell him about this God. Tell these men about this God. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. What has Paul just shared with them? God's power. He says what you don't understand is that this God is a God of power. He starts by tying it back to their altars that they could see. And he states that God is the creator and thus he is not created and cannot be worshipped by anything made with human hands. That God is self-existent, he's constant, he exists continually. And he's too big and too vast to contain in one spot. That this God doesn't need to have anybody do anything for him because he's impotent in any way. But instead, he is the God who created all things. He said the God, this God he's sharing with him is the God who made the world and everything in it that includes them. That he's the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by man. You can't contain him. He's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. We're not trying to help God out in some way. Because he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So he starts out by tying them to the creator God, showing them God's power. That he is the one who created all things. And our tendency is to worship what we've made or what we've done or who we are. But instead, Paul says, the rightful worship goes to God because he is the creator and there is only one creator. By the way, they would have had all types of little altars to different gods who would have been responsible for this or that or that. And what Paul says is God is responsible for all of it. You only need one God because he's the creator and he's all powerful. And he don't need you to fix him something. He's good. He's big. He's mighty. And then he continues by proclaiming the power of God to control all nations. Notice what he says. In verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Wow. Just so you know, we read this, and we're like, ah, that sounds cute. You know, every nation, every person comes from God, right? He created them, they're all we're all together, right? If you go back in our ancestries far enough, we'll all connect somewhere. But that's controversial in Athens. You know why? Because the Athenians thought they were different than every other human race and ethnic group on the planet. They thought they had been made specially apart from everyone. So it's interesting that Paul tells the Athenians, no, this God created all people. You're no different than others. That's very important. God has to share that we are not as great as we think we are but we're all in the same boat. This is important for us to understand because the creator God who made all people, we all stem from the same ancestry. That means that in the proclamation of the gospel, there is no room for prejudice. There is no room for prejudice. The Athenians would have been prejudiced towards all other groups, saying they're not as superior as we are. And what Paul shares with them when he's sharing the gospel is this God who created all things, created all the nations, they're all his people, and they belong to him. (laughs) Just so you know, there's some creepy people out there. not going to lie to you. A lot of them think it's me, right? But there's some creepy people out there who you're not going to be like, oh, you know who I want to go share the gospel with? But what Paul has just shared with us is that person was made in the image of God. And Jesus has died so that that person might be redeemed and rescued. And there are no favorites. There, are, there is just simply all of humanity together. And what Paul does is he slaps in the face that culture that viewed itself as mighty and unstoppable and that thought itself more superior to others. I don't know if any other nations would ever feel that they are superior to others. And What you notice is Paul is sharing that God guides history and thus he is all-powerful. And I also want you to notice he's not separated from the world, but he is in it. He is active. And God holds all people as equal contrary to their belief that they were special. That's important. The gospel is important because the gospel levels us all down to the same spot. We're all just sinners regardless of our skin color, our upbringings, our age, or our backgrounds. We're all on the same level. We're all sinners in need of grace. Number two. So number one, Paul shares about God's power. Number two, God shares about God's presence. Notice what he says in verse 27. He says that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each of us. Notice God's presence, that God is not distant in some way, put us in a, in a puzzle hoping we find our way out. But in fact, he is the present God who is here, who is active and working and loves to reveal himself to his people. Loves to reveal himself and has shown it even in giving us his word. And Paul proclaims that God has placed in each one this longing that cannot be satisfied by anything other than him. You got that? A longing that cannot be satisfied any other place or in any other thing other than him. And just so you know, I didn't know I had that. When I was 17, I didn't know I had that. I thought the longing in my heart was just because, you know, I hadn't accomplished everything I wanted to yet, or I still have goals yet to achieve. What I didn't realize is that I I had an emptiness that could only be filled by the Creator God. And I don't know if I'm the only one. I don't think so. But I needed someone to show up and tell me that I needed Christ. I just needed someone to tell me I needed Jesus. And it would have really stunk if nobody had done that. It would have really stunk if nobody would have told me that Jesus was real that his word is true but then god brings back into my life a girl who i really liked i didn't get to date her in high school because i was a fool she went off to college and i remember telling myself i remember telling myself i remember telling myself that i had missed out I remember that. I do. I remember my freshman year of college, my first semester, going, I missed it. And then God brings her back into my life again. She shows up at my house. She invites me to a youth cookout. I could care less about youth, and I could care less about cookouts. but I was lonely and lost. And when she showed up to my house, that was the best thing I could ever hear. She was a friend to me. And A couple months later, after talking some more and spending time and going to church with her, she asked me if I would Go to heaven or hell if I died. And I said, How dare you? How dare you act like I need to be saved from anything? And I got angry at her. But for that whole weekend, question rolled around in my brain she kept inviting me to church I started going even when she went back to school and I was by myself again and through that time people taught me this and I learned that I was a sinner I was not as good as I thought I was And that hole can only be filled by the grace of God. It takes boldness to share Jesus with somebody. You might have to have the uncomfortable conversation. You might have to ask the hard question. But if she hadn't, I don't know where I'd be right now. I'll tell you where I wouldn't be. It wouldn't be right here. Now, God can do anything he wants. He can save time and anywhere. But I believe God saved me because he brought her into my life. and She was not afraid to tell me and to confront me with the fact that I was not a Christian and know that I needed to trust in Jesus. Could you imagine if the rest of 2017 goes by and not a single person in this room tells another person that way? now And it all started because someone had to say you're groping in the dark Jason you're groping in the dark let me tell you about what you don't know let me tell you about the God you don't know let me tell you about him it started because I was groping in the dark and some of you may be in this room and you're groping in the dark you're trying to find truth you can't find it can I help you? What you need is Christ. What you need is to be rescued and redeemed from your sin. And all those who call upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. I don't want to, I don't want this community to not know that Fairhaven loves them. I don't want this community to think that we are segregated. I don't want this community to think that Fairhaven only cares about people who are like us. I want this community to know that we love every single person who resides in this area. Regardless of their background, regardless of their religious background, regardless of their skin color, we want them to know Christ. We want them to know Him right now. And we're not going to stop until they hear. You know what I'm talking about? Because if my wife hadn't done that for me, I don't know where I'd be. I'd be I might still be groping in the dark if it wasn't for her obedience. But God ordained that he was going to send her for that time. Imagine what he's going to do with you and me in the days ahead. You know what I'm talking about? Declaring the power and the presence of God. Not just that he's the creator, but he's here. He showed up. And we can know him. We can can grow and learn more about him. I don't know about you, but there are so many people that live right next door to you and go to work with you who do not know that. And Paul proclaims that they are groping in the dark, trying to feel their way toward him and find him, and yet Paul says he's not actually far from each one of us. And then Paul actually quotes their own poets. Notice that. Paul's not afraid to engage them in their society and culture. He knows their poetry. He reads it. And so he quotes it back to him. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being. That's a quote from one of their philosophers, Epimenides. He wrote that. And so Paul quotes that back, not because Scripture is insufficient, but because it speaks the truth. And he says, even your poets are talking about it. And then he quotes another, he says, for we indeed are his offspring... And Paul shows them he's willing to get in the midst of them. He's willing to to meet them in their lives and on their turf. And he's willing to share. He's willing to penetrate losses. He's willing to penetrate a culture that did not want to hear what he was preaching. He was willing to say it. And he was willing to be bold as he said it. Because what Paul cared about was not their culture and their system of belief. What he cared about is whether they know Christ or not. And he's willing to do whatever it takes for them to hear that message. Even if they want to kill him after he says it. Finally, number three, Paul shares about God's purpose in verse 30 and 31. Let me share verse 29. He says, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. We don't form God according to our image. He forms us according to his. He's the one who we are conformed to, not the other way around. And then look at this in verse 30. Look at at the purpose of God. Paul said, the times of ignorance got overlooked. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. Are you not thankful for that verse? Amen. That the times of ignorance got overlooked. Well, thank you, God, because the times of my ignorance were 17 and a half years long. And I'm so grateful that what this means is that God didn't spite me the minute I sinned or the minute I drew breath as he was able to do if he wished. But instead, he overlooked my times of ignorance. But do not consider his, do not consider his overlooking as though he is not caring. Because then Paul goes on to say, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. What are, we, what are we taking to this community? The call for everyone everywhere to repent. Everyone to turn away from sin and turn to be their own God and trust in Christ who is the rightful king of all things. Now, we do that through having little block parties and special times together in Bible studies, but in the end, what we're calling people to do is repent. We're not calling people to have fun. We're not calling people to join a group. We're calling people to repent, to turn away from being God, trying to be God on their own and to worship the rightful king. And Paul says that God is rightfully going to judge. Verse 31, this is why he calls them to repent Everyone, he says, because he has fixed. God has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You want to know why we know Jesus is coming back? You want to know why we know Jesus is going to judge all people? You want to know why Jesus is going to be the rightful judge at the end time? Because God raised him from the dead to show that he is the rightful appointed one to judge. And he will. He will set all wrongs right, he will punish all sin. And what Paul wants them to see is that God has given them grace because the gospel has come to them. God has appointed a day because he's in control where everyone will be judged. This judgment will come through Christ because he is the one who has died and God has raised him to that position and exalted him. Just so you know, we exist right now, not for ourselves, but 2017 and every day God gives us in this year is a day that he has given us to go and tell someone else, to go and tell more people, to go tell them about this God they do not know, and to call for them to repent and trust in him. That's what we exist for every day. When you get up tomorrow morning, what you're thinking of is, how am I going to share Christ with someone else? How am I going to make this unknown God known to more people? That's what we dedicate ourselves to. And I'm telling you, folks, if we spend our time doing this through the year, when we get to the end of it, We're going to see what God does. We're going to see that he is faithful, and we're going to see that God is able to accomplish even these things, not because we're great, but because he is. So what I want to do today is just simply prime the pump for what's going to come in the weeks ahead, because what we're going to talk about is the gospel transforming hearts and lives for the glory of God. And I'm going to urge us as a church to know Christ and to make him known and oh, how they need to know the beauty of our God. So if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, I am urging you, I'm pleading with you to trust in Christ, to turn away from sin, to repent, and to believe in the only begotten Son, the one who died on the cross for your sin and my sin, the one who has taken our place, the one who was perfect where we could not be perfect, the one who lived the perfect life and died in our place as a sacrifice for our sin. I'm urging all of us in this room to repent and trust in his work, not our own goodness, but in his finished work on the cross. And if you're a Christian this morning, I am urging you, I am pleading with you to be active and bold in sharing about this God. That you would not keep it to yourself while people are dying all around you, but instead you would take to them this good news that even though they are lost in sin and may feel like they're groping in the darkness, there is light that has been shown into our darkness. And that we might be able to repent and trust in him and we might find everlasting life. Oh, I want every Christian in this room, I am urging you, in the next six months, I'm giving you six months. In the next six months, I want every person in this room who is a Christian to share Jesus with one person. In the next six months, one per- Listen, I'm giving you a long, that's six months. In six months, you're going to tell someone, one person, about this unknown God. If we do that, imagine that. I don't know how many people are in the room right now, but we're up 70 or 80. Could you imagine if we all, if every one of us shared the gospel with someone in the next six months? That'd be 70 to 80 some odd people who have not heard the gospel who have heard it. And I believe that if you share the gospel with 70 to 80 people, one of them somewhere going to get saved. I just believe that. And then you know what we do? Next six months we do it again. And then we go every three months. And, and then we go, every month, every month we're going to share Jesus with somebody. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Could you imagine if every person in this room shared Jesus with one person every month? Imagine how many hundreds of people would hear about Jesus over the course of 2017. And imagine how many hundreds would come to know Christ and would have eternal life. I'm telling you, folks, we can have all the sweet programs you want. Our attendance can go through the roof, whatever you want. We can take up a ton of money, whatever you want to do. But in the end, I would much rather see hundreds of people come to know Christ. <laughs> I'd rather see hundreds of people no longer destined for a Christless eternity. So how about we do that with boldness? You know why? Because our God is the creator God, and we have the words of eternal life to give to them. We just have to be busy doing that. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you, God, that you did not leave me in my sin, but you rescued me. Lord, I didn't deserve it, but you gave it, and I'm so grateful for that. God, I didn't deserve any of your grace, but you poured it out. And so, Lord, I pray that I would not keep that to myself. But, God, for every day you give me in 2017, God, I pray that I will use it for your glory. And I pray, Lord, that I might try to find someone that I can share Jesus with, Lord, that I would not just know you myself, but I would make you known to the ends of the earth. And Lord, I pray that in the lives of all of your people, God, for every Christian in this room, I pray that you might use them. Give them boldness, God, that even if people call them weird or kooky, God, they're not afraid to share that that Jesus is the only way in which we have eternal life, that there is hope found in him. Lord, that we might find people groping in the dark, and we might bring them the light of the gospel. God, that they would see that you are not far off but you are very near. God, I pray that you might use us even though some of us really struggle to share our faith. God, even though some of us really struggle to share the gospel and some of us may not know how to do it, great. Lord, just help us to be faithful to share what we do know. Help us to be faithful to share that we were once sinners deserving of being separated from you forever but that you sent your son to die. God, at least let us tell them that. But God, we believe that you're the only one that can save. We don't believe the power to save is in our hands at all. You've just called us to be faithful to share the good news. But God, we are asking you. We're asking you, God, to give new hearts to people who are lost and dying. God, we're asking you to save our lost family members. God, we're asking you to save our lost co- our lost coworkers. God, we're asking you to save our lost children. God, I pray our schools would be saved. God, I pray that you would save our neighbors. God, give them new hearts for you. Oh, Lord, I believe that you can save any time in any way you want. But, God, you have said in your word that you have ordained that we are going to preach the gospel. That you'll use our proclaiming of your good news to rescue. So, God, I pray that we will be faithful to be instruments of yours. God, help us with boldness to share that there is only one King. He is the rightful Lord King Jesus. May he receive glory and honor. We ask it in his name. Amen.